I'm just so thankful uh, to be here with you guys and uh, to be a, a part of Summit this morning. So we're going to get into it today. Uh, we're, we're halfway through our series about um, through the book of Hebrews chapter 11, specifically the chapter 11, and we're taking each verse kind of and, and taking that story of faith because um, we want to go deeper with our faith this summer. And my verse uh, today is uh, 22. It's the story of Joseph. And last week, Russ really introduced the, the narrative of Joseph and who he was. And it's an interesting question because of all the, of all the people, Joseph was definitely one who lived by faith. All that he went through, whether it was being sold into captivity serving in Potiphar's house, being falsely accused, um, being in prison for all of those years, and then coming up and serving in Pharaoh's household and becoming the second most powerful person in Egypt, having all that authority and influence, and yet still being faithful to God. Like, that is a life of faith. But of all the acts of faith of Joseph throughout his life, and he gets more time in the book of Genesis, than I think anybody else. Why? Why? Why does the author of Hebrews decide to, to highlight this one little piece in Genesis 50? This one thing that, by faith, at the end of his life, Joseph made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. I just really kind of out of left field, right? I mean, what in the world? Different. But we're going to go through and we're going to understand the significance of his decision here. The significance of Joseph by faith reminding the Israelites of the Exodus and giving directions about his bones, his remains. Because he's about to die when he says this. So it's not our immediately understanding of why the author would have chosen this one. But he did, and it's amazing when we understand it, the significance and the application that it has for our life today. Something important that we need to understand is that Joseph wasn't considered a patriarch. He was not considered a patriarch, right? You think of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those are the three that when you hear of the covenant and the Old Testament, those are the names, those are the big guys. And we've gone through that, and this is really a transitional sermon because next week, Stacy's going to start. He's got a three-part series on, on the life of Moses that I'm really excited for. But we're, we're kind of at a point in the history of Israel here where things change. Now, he was never uh, considered a patriarch because he didn't get a clear message from God. God never spoke to Joseph directly. Over the course of all of his life, those revelations that Abraham, that Isaac, that Jacob got, Joseph never had that. He never had God speak to him and remind him of what was coming. So he was really taking it on faith when he said that God is going to lead us back to the promised land. Because we see the first thing that, that enabled him to do that is that God spoke through his word. Right? God spoke through his word to his people. 
There are nine different occasions throughout the book of Genesis that we see that. From the first call of Abram out of Ur down to Joseph. In Genesis 12, just to recap, Genesis 12, Abraham, uh, he got a call. This is the first one. He got a call to go, to leave his home. This is God speaking directly to him and that he would become a great nation. In Genesis 13, Abraham received the promise of land and descendants. In 15, Abraham was given God's covenant and it was clearly marked out and given specifics. In 17, Abraham established his covenant again. God did it and um, just reaffirmed that with Abraham. In 22, after Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac, God again reminded him. He said, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to multiply your descendants. You're going to become a great nation. In 26, in 26 uh, of Genesis, Isaac he receives directions from God on where to go and that he's reminded Isaac that he will have descendants that will become many nations. In chapter 28, Jacob gets the covenant passed down to him from Isaac and Jacob has his dream where he sees the ladder ascending to heaven and the angels are ascending in D7 and God reveals this to him again. In, 30, in chapter 35, Jacob renaming to Israel and this is the first place in chapter 35 where we see in the covenant that kings will be part of this holy line of God's family. So it's really just becoming this awesome thing that God is building over the years. And then in 46, Jacob again. And this time, this is a new piece as well, that God will bring them back. That had never been communicated before. There was always land. There was always descendants. But there was never any kind of component of having to leave and then come back. So Jacob hears that in Genesis 46. And nothing for Joseph. God never speaks directly to Joseph about the future. About his covenant with the holy people of Israel. And yet Joseph repeats in chapter 48 of Genesis the words that his father spoke over him at the end of his life. And it says, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So it's 200 years has gone by since the first revelation down to the, to the time of Joseph. And yet it was this word of God that had been passed along and that became something of faith for Joseph. But we see something here because Joseph's inner self was stirred and that's what enabled him to act on faith. See, Jesus, Joseph at that moment realized that he needed to keep the call to the people front and center. He was not going to be settled in Egypt. And he was not going to let God's chosen people forget where their rightful home was. Which is amazing and it goes back to why this story of faith is so important. And why it was such a big deal for Joseph. Because, like I said, Joseph was sold into slavery when he was a young man, right? Went to Egypt. He never went back. 
for all his life, he lived in Egypt. That was his home. That was what he knew. And at the time of his, at the time of his death, there was actually nobody left in Canaan from Abraham's family. There was nobody left in the promised land to kind of hold claim to it. Everybody had moved from Canaan to Egypt because of the drought, and they had been settled there. One of the commentaries said this, Joseph spent all his adult life in Egypt. Through a fourth generation heir to the promise, he could not claim even to have traveled in the promised land, much less to have inherited it. It had become some 200 years since the initial covenant with Abraham, 200 years of promise and no fulfillment in sight. Anybody ever wait 200 years for anything? Anybody know what that's like to have something spoken over you and then, no? Okay. At the time of Joseph's death, none of the descendants lived in the promised land. Because of the famine in Canaan, they all were in Egypt. Jacob was carried back to Canaan after he died, and Joseph would have been settled, satisfied, only if his bones could be carried there. If he could not inherit the land, at least the land could inherit him. That was how much faith he had. He said, even though I'm going to be gone, I believe that there is a place that God has for us, and I want you to bring me there, even if I'm dead. And when Moses led the Israelites out in Exodus 13, back to the promised land, the bones of Joseph went with him. And we see that fulfillment so much later, 400 years later, that finally that comes to pass. But his inner self was stirred. There was so much reason for them to stay. If we go back to Genesis 47, we see why. So Joseph, he was second in command at the time in the land of Egypt. And he says this to the Pharaoh in 47 verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for this famine is severe in the land of Canaan. How frustrating that must have been for them. This promised land that had been passed on from family to family to family, that God had spoken, and yet now there's a famine there. And they have to leave this promise, this land that God had inherited for them. What a struggle that must have been for them to leave what God had promised them. They said, and now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. What a nice deal, right? They're in Canaan, the land that God had promised to them, and then it all fell apart and they had to leave. 
And so they're on the run, and they come to Egypt. And because of what Joseph had brought about through preparing them for the years of famine, he's got some, he's got some favor with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh sets the, the, the Israelites up in the best land of Egypt. Not a bad deal. They're going from famine to the best land of Egypt where they can set up, where they can put down some roots, they can take care of themselves, they can get settled. What a perfect situation for them to get forget God's call for their people. What a perfect opportunity for them to look around and say, this isn't so bad. It's been 200 years there's a famine in Canaan. Maybe that was then. This is now. Maybe that was it. And I know for some of us so often when things are going well and everything's lined up that we want to settle as well. And we'll get into that because there's so many applications here. But the, the other thing that happens is that so, sometimes it's not often all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. If you jump ahead to Exodus 1, starting with verse 8, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Bye-bye good times. And he said to the people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from this land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. What a difficult situation for them to be in. And that was after the time of Joseph. But I think so often we get caught up in that, whether it's good times or whether it's bad times, that they think, oh, how are we ever going to get out of here? This is miserable. But Joseph's inner self was stirred. The other thing that we see is that he obeyed God by remembering God's covenant with his forefathers. Matthew Henry in his commentary said this. He said, Joseph gave this command to testify that he preferred a significant burial in Canaan before a magnificent burial in Egypt. So he was second in command. That, uh, that, that granted him a certain measure of authority and influence and rights. And he could have had a nice tomb and a nice sarcophagus. And he could have had all the fine trappings of a burial in Egypt. But he understood that Egypt was not his home. He understood that God had called them and had a place for them. And he was not going to be settled in Egypt whether he was alive or dead, he was going back to the place of his people that God had called them to. And he obeyed God and remained faithful. And that is why, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, by faith, he made this declaration at the end of his life to say, even though I die and we're here, I know what God has for us. And it was a reminder to the people not to get too complacent, not to get satisfied or frustrated, but to remember what was in store for them. 
After a number of years, we see that God bore witness. It took another 400 years of captivity, but God brought the Israelite nation out of Egypt, and he fulfilled what he had promised them. In verse 32 of Joshua 24, after Joshua dies, it says, And the, as for the bones of Joseph, which the people brought out from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem, in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. It became an inheritance to the descendants of Joseph. 400 years later, but God fulfilled his word. It became an inheritance in the same tomb that Joseph, uh, that Jacob was buried in, that all of his forefathers were buried in. Joseph finally goes home because of his faith. Now you, you might be thinking, well, that's great. Good for Joseph. What does that mean for us today? I am, we're not in the nation of Israel. We don't have a tomb that's waiting for us in Israel. What does this mean for us today? How does this have any kind of significance in my life? The fact that Joseph thought he had a promised land and wanted his bones, his remains carried there. I'm glad you asked. In Luke chapter 12, we see this. There's three things, there's three sections in Luke chapter 12 that speak to this and how this plays important in our life today. And I want to introduce it with this quote from Jonathan Edwards. He says, the seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business of the Christian life. I want to say that again. The, chief, the seeking of the kingdom of God is the chief business business of the Christian life. There's an example here of the good times. There's an example here in the bad times of Luke chapter 12. The first one is the parable of the rich fool. Jesus answers a question and he says this in this parable, starting with verse 16. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. Have a good life. Build that nest egg. Travel. Enjoy life. You've earned it. Look at this. Your portfolio is just multiplying. You're getting promotion after promotion. Look at this new house, this renovation that you added on. Man, you've really got it. Enjoy. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they, they had settled, they had the land of Goshen, 
They had food. They were set. They were good. And Joseph had to remind them, guys, look, this is not your home. And I'll say to you today, this is not our home. You are not here permanently. We are temporary citizens. Our home is in heaven. Just as the Israelites had prepared a a place in Canaan, God has prepared a place for us that we will go to one day. And I don't know about you, but that should be on the forefront of our minds. And it should impact every decision that we make. Not looking at the here and the now. Not looking at how much we can enjoy life, but looking ahead to what God has in store for us. The next section of Luke 12 is about not being anxious. Does anybody have anything to be anxious for? Anybody? Anybody at all? Ever read the news? Anybody have anything going on that gives them pause or concern? And here he's talking about worrying about what to eat or what to wear, how we're going to live, any of those things. In verse 32, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you jump back up and starting in verse 30, he says, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Are you seeking his kingdom this morning? Is eternity on your mind? The last reason... Uh, is that we must be ready. And we see in that because we need to obey God. And we see that here. In verse 35, he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lambs burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants. That's how we obey God. That's how we are ready to step into the promised land. Is that we get stirred and we obey. That we're not looking at the things of this world, temporary and fleeting as they are. But we're looking ahead to what God has promised for us. We're looking ahead to that city that that God is preparing for us. And that doesn't mean that we need to be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I understand that. I know that there's things that we need to worry about and our, our actions should be informed by this. That's what I'm saying. Is that the church needs to be active. It needs to be involved. But when I read an article in the Atlantic that says that the imminent collapse of the evangelical church, I'm thinking, we're doing it wrong. Our focus is not on the kingdom of God. Our focus is not on the kingdom of God. And that's where it needs to be. You might not need to sell all your possessions. You might not need to be poor. 
But my challenge to you this morning today is to live with eternity in mind. To focus not on the here and now. Not to get caught up and weighed down and anxious with decisions that we have to make. But to be looking ahead to what God has for us. That's my heart and I think about what it would look like for this church to, to live with eternity in mind. And one day God is going to fulfill that. You know how I know? Because in Revelation 21, we read about a new heaven and a new earth that's waiting for us. We know that God is going to fulfill it, that he's going to bear witness one day, that he's going to come and he's going to take us away from this place. And I want you to be ready for that. The way to do it, I love Billy Graham. He said this famously. He said, my home is in heaven. I'm just passing through this world. What would that look like for us if we were just passing through this world? I imagine that we would have less worries, less cares. That's my heart for us this morning.